Thank you, choir musicians. What a morning it has been. God has given several of you the opportunity to be better Christians today. By just having to deal with me, you have been better Christians. Learn how to be more patient and gracious. I would have forgotten my head if it wouldn't have been attached this morning. I started by leaving the keys, leaving with both sets of our keys and leaving Stephanie at home with the kids and without a car. Several people in my Sunday school said, we'll take the keys to your house to pick her up. Praise God, right? Thank you for that. Kathleen came in. I saw Emmeline, who we just baptized. She, by the way, that's the first time I think I've ever seen somebody baptized in this church with a bag on their hair. <laughs> yes! I love it. I had trouble getting her down because she was floating just a little bit. <laughs> Go down, Emily. <laughs> Emily, where are you? I wasn't trying to drown you, I promise. I was just trying to get... <laughs> oh, then, I, then, then John didn't know we had a baptism because I didn't tell him. Then I didn't have a chance to get my PowerPoint done this morning. Uh, what else did I forget? I got soaked again in the baptismal pool. If anybody's feeling compelled to help us with the baptismal pool financially, we would love that help, by the way. I say that jokingly, unless, of course, you're going to do it. And then I forgot my microphone, and you saw Jeanette come down and just lovingly <laughs> tap me on the shoulder. I'm thinking, how is Stephanie tapping me on the shoulder? Man, the spirit's really getting to me this morning, because Stephanie's got her hands like this, and I'm getting tapped on the shoulder. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well... You had opportunities, guys, to be better Christians this morning. Thomas Edison said, he said, most people miss opportunity because it's wearing overalls and looks like hard work. That is truth. So thank you guys for putting up with me this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn it up to Ephesians chapter 5, 22 and 33. We're going to look at just Ephesians 5, 22. Just hold your finger there. Hold your spot there and we'll get there in a moment. Well, I hope you're enjoying this series, I Am a Church Member. I certainly am. I hope that the entire series is challenging all of us to be better church members and to make church membership meaningful, to make it meaningful. I want Northwest Baptist Church to be the center of your lives. I want it to be the place that you long to be at on Wednesdays and on Sunday mornings, because I do. I love being edified by you and by, by song with you and fellowship with you, and I'm just so eager that all of us will have the same joy and the same, the same love for Northwest Baptist Church and own this church, make it your church. So I hope you've enjoyed this series. We have this sermon and next week's sermon is the conclusion of I am a church member. We're at the fifth pledge this week. Pledge about being functioning church members, praying for our pastors. We've made pledges to give to our church. This week we're going to talk specifically about how we as a church can train our families to be church members. That's not something we think an awful lot about, is it? We, we, we talk sometimes about 
raising our children to be Christians, but what about church membership? How does, does God really, is God concerned that our children are good church members? And I think it's safe to say he is. Have you or are you concerned about the spiritual state of your family? Husbands, have you or are you concerned about the health of your wife's relationship with Jesus Christ? I, I, I say concern, not in the sense of worry. I mean concern in the sense that it is your oversight. It's your responsibility. Does it ever concern you? Wives, are you concerned about your husband's relationship with Jesus? Parents, are you together concerned about your child's relationship with the Lord and with his church? Do you ever wonder why your child doesn't want to go to church? Does it ever feel like sometimes in your home that the Holy Spirit has left? Does it ever feel like your home reflects the world more than it does God's kingdom? I think if we're honest, many of us can say yes, sometimes. Sometimes it does, and that's, that's not God's best for us. Well, why is this? Maybe it's them. Maybe, husband, your wife is to blame for the spiritual status of the home. After all, she does nag an awful lot. Maybe if your wife would just understand that it's not your fault, that you are the way you are, and that everyone and everything else is to blame for why you're always angry, why you're overweight, and why you're short-tempered. Things would be different if she would just understand you are the way you are because of everyone else. Maybe, wife, your husband is to blame for the spiritual status of your home. Maybe if he would just do everything you ask him to do, when you ask him to do it, you wouldn't always be so stressed. Maybe if he would take his diet more seriously, you and the kids would eat healthier. Maybe if he would finally take your finances more seriously, you guys wouldn't always live paycheck to paycheck. Maybe, children, if your parents weren't so hypocritical, you would do better in school. Maybe if they cared more about your education, you would care more about your education. Maybe if they weren't always getting angry every time you disobeyed them, you wouldn't have to sneak around with those kids they don't approve of. Maybe it's everyone's fault but our own. It is so easy to get into that mindset. It is the nature of the sinful state that we're all in before we meet the Holy Spirit, before we come to know Jesus. But we have a struggle with this old man. And the, the good news of the new creation is that that old way of thinking that it's everyone else but us is gone. We have a new way of thinking. I told my Sunday school this this morning, and I think it's a good saying, and I want to say it here. The grace of God, Christian, offers you the ability to go to God and confess your sins completely to him. God's grace gives you 
the opportunity and the ability to go and tell God exactly how sinful you are. The grace of God gets you and gives you permission to have personal accountability in your own life. The problem with thinking that it's everyone else's fault but our own is that when we ask when will others type questions, it only leads to procrastination. When we ask why don't others types of questions, it only leads to victim thinking. When we ask who did what or who did this or did that type questions, it only leads to blame. And these types of questions are irrelevant questions because they don't solve problems and they're powerless to change our situation. As long as our questions begin with when and who and they're always focused on you and them, we're never going to change anything. Because know this, you can't change anyone except yourself. And that, but by the Holy Spirit's power. So I want to I just, if you leave this church today with just that one lesson it, it was worth coming husband you can't change your wife wife you can't change your husband children you can't change your parents parents you can't train change your children but each one of us can change ourselves as long as we blame others for our behavior, we will never change, we will never grow. John Miller writes in his book, Questions Behind the Questions, that victim thinking, complaining, procrastination, and blame, all of the things, by the way, that will destroy a church and a Christian home, victim thinking, complaining, procrastination, and blame, all of those things that will destroy both a church and a home are all based on a lack of personal accountability. This morning, I want to challenge each individual here today. Husband, I want you to ask yourself this morning, how can I change my life to be a better example of Christ to my family? Wife, I want you to ask yourself this morning, what can I do to help my husband be that example? Both husbands and wives should ask this question, how can I cultivate a greater love for my church in my own life? How can I cultivate a greater love for my church in my own life so that my family will love the church too? Children, don't ask the question, when will my parents stop berating me and stop correcting me all the time? Ask, what can I do as their child to honor and obey them today, even when they fail? Questions like these solve problems because they guarantee that at least one person is going to change me. This morning, I want to talk about how we as a church and our individual families can cultivate a greater love for God and for his church. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray that you would change hearts this morning. 
Lord, if we leave here and we haven't changed, we're like the man who looks in the mirror, who walks away forgetting what he looked like, who makes no change in his appearance. God, if we come to church every Sunday and there's no change in our lives, what are we doing? Better that we go somewhere else where our lives will change than that we come here and change nothing in our lives. God, change our hearts this morning. Change our homes and teach us to teach others. Teach us to teach our family to love your church. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I, it's, it's unfortunate, but I, I don't want this chapter or this sermon to leave out single people as well. Single people, you have an opportunity right now to start asking yourself the very same question. What could I do to be that wife or to be that husband or to be that single person in the family and in the friends that I have around me to be that person that God wants me to be? How can I change my attitude? How can I teach others to love God's church? So this really includes everyone. Don't let the particulars bog you down. I want to look at our first point this morning. I want to say this. God expects the church to reflect the home and the home to reflect the church. God expects the church to reflect the home and the home to reflect the church. Look at Ephesians 5 with me. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, just starting right out in verse 22 and 23, what I want you to notice about this passage is how Paul intricately weaves back and forth from the home to the church. Watch how every command he gives to the married life goes back to what God wants the relationship between his church to be with Jesus Christ. All right, so watch this. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and as himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. The she that Paul's talking about there is the church, but it goes back to how husbands treat their wives. So there is this intricate weaving. The husband is to treat, or the wife is to submit to the husband the way Christ submitted to the Father. The husband is to love the wife the way Christ loved the church. And he goes on, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. 
and I am saying that it refers to Christ and to the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let his wife see that she respects her husband. Paul is establishing family codes of conduct within the Ephesian church. Wives submit to husbands. Husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church. Children are to obey and honor their parents in verses 6, 1 through 4. Parents are not to provoke the children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. But while doing this entire passage, Paul intricately weaves a pattern for us. And that is this, that the church is to reflect the home and the home is to reflect the church. The two are, in Paul's minds, related to one another. They share similar structures of authority. There are leaders in the home. There are leaders in the church. They share similar attitudes of selfless humility and other directed service. The, the husband gives up his self for the wife. The wife gives up her, her right to herself to be under the submission of the husband. Because the husband has given up himself to be under the submission of Christ. The children are to submit to the parents. The parents are to love and, and not be angry at their children constantly, but are to discipline and train them in the Lord. And God wants this for our families, this wonderful system of authority, of submission, and doing so joyfully, everyone playing their part the way God wants us to play as unto the Lord. And he wants that for our homes. But he also wants it for our church. Specifically the local church. This church. And so Paul says let's weave these together. Let's show how the church and the family are, weaved, are woven together. They both share similar tasks of sanctification and discipline. The husband is to be concerned about the wife's spiritual progress and his children's spiritual progress, just like a pastor is to be concerned about the spiritual growth of his congregation. He cannot neglect this. And each one is to be concerned about their, their growth in the family, and we as each one are to be concerned about the growth of one another. Our verse for the year, Hebrews 10, 24, be eager to stir up love and good works amongst one another. There's analogous relationships between the family and the church. They both share a common Lord who is Jesus Christ. Christ is the Lord of the home. Christ is the Lord of the church. If we ever have any doubt about where we are to go, about what we are to do, the question we have to ask ourselves is, what has Jesus told me my role is? Christ is the Lord of our churches and of our homes. Paul even sees God's original design for marriage, the husband leaving his family and cleaving to his wife as a mysterious foreshadowing of Christ leaving the father and cleaving to his bride, the church. Paul even says, listen, in the home, it's a mysterious foreshadowing of what ultimately Christ is going to do. Christ loves the church. He leaves the glory of heaven and leaves the father and cleaves to his bride, you and I, the church. Those who are the ecclesia, the Christian body. Christ is with us. We are one. And so the church and the home are intricately woven together. 
one is to always reflect the other. What does that mean then? It means that in order for us to be obedient, both have to take a first seat. Both must be preeminent in our lives. We cannot neglect either or. We cannot be the kind of family God wants us to be without loving God's church. I'll say that again. None of us can be the family that God wants us to be without loving God's church. Christ loves the church, and we then must love our families the way Christ loves the church. But how these two link together is this. We cannot love our families the way Christ loves the church if we aren't continuously experiencing the fellowship of koinonia within the body of Christ. We cannot experience a home that is a Christian home without experiencing the fellowship of the body of Christ. It means that husbands and wives and children must be here in the body because where they are lacking in their homes, hopefully there are examples of better Christian homes within the church to help them grow. I don't know about you, but I am constantly looking to those who are healthier in the Christian life to help me and aid me in my growth. All of us have to do it. And Paul told Timothy to set a what? A what? An example. To be an example for believers. That meant that what Paul expected was that other believers would be a type of what we needed to be and emulate in our own lives. We cannot have Christian homes if we're not always experiencing better and stronger Christian homes within our fellowship. All of us growing together. In other words, what we learn about Christ's love for his church is to be taken back into our homes and duplicated in our families. When we come here and we learn about Christ's love, we are to take it back into our homes and our homes are to see transformation. And then the reciprocity is those healthier homes come back into this church and make this church a healthier body. So we leave here today. We take a healthy message back to our home. And we're going to talk about talking about the message in our home. But we leave here today and we take this message back into our homes to see growth. And then as a church, that comes back into our church and we see it again. And there is a continuous cycle of growth. None of us have reached perfection in this life. I can tell you, most of us have seen how imperfect we are. Some of us, some of us have seen how imperfect we are already today. There is the constant need to be with God's people to learn how to be better at Christian homes. Selfless humility, other directed service, grace and forgiveness are all learned in the church through our shared experience of Christ's sacrificial service to us. All of these things. You want to see, you want to see a husband that forgives his wife? Expose the husband to the koinonia. 
to the common fellowship of God's people where it should be the case that forgiveness and selflessness and humility are ever-present. Get him to experience this. Get her to experience this. Everybody as a family experience this. That amongst our body, we are showing God's spirit living amongst us. We are being built up into the temple of the Holy Spirit upon the preaching of the Bible in the church. You want to save your homes? Experience that together and take it back to your home and live it out. God expects the church to reflect the home and the home to reflect the church. But the other thing we have to look at this morning is that the church is the chief trainer of the Christian family. Turn with me, if you would, to Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 7. Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 7. The church is the chief trainer of the Christian family. Many people go to, to therapy, family therapy, family counselors, and I, I want to suggest to you that there is value there. I'm, I'm not at all questioning the value of those programs. But I think, I think that if we start with a healthy relationship with the church and a healthy view of using God's church to train our families, we might be able to keep from spending a lot of money on family counselors. Because we're using the church the way it should be used. Deuteronomy 5, 6, 5 through 7. Listen to what Moses says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Imagine if we just took that. Let's just say we all heard that and took that and implemented that in our life today. Let's just say every husband in here and every wife in here and every child in here took that, that single message that they heard the pastor preach on that day when Moses preached this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. How would our homes be different? And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. The, the point is always. You should be talking about what you heard the pastor say. Always. The parallel between Moses and the Israelites and the modern day pastor and his congregation should be immediately obvious to us. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart, says Moses. That means Moses expected the Israelites to take the commands of God that they heard in the assembly and bind them so closely to their hearts that there would be no place where God would not reign in their lives. No time of the day where God would not reign in their lives. Bedtime for us in our house is a place where God sometimes, I don't know, I wonder where he is. It's difficult. It's like Claire's never gone to bed before. Every night it's a fight. But how can this message in my own life and in all of our lives change every particular of our lives? You say, God doesn't really have a message for that. Sure he does. The message is personal accountability. 
the message is learn to ask what you can do to keep from that child acting that way. To keep, to keep from exasperating your child to continue to act in that particular fashion. Of course there's a message to learn there. There is clearly a parallel with the pastor and Moses. Moses is telling the Israelites, go and do likewise. Let this reign in your lives. Let God's word reign in your lives. The message that you heard. He says their morning, their afternoons, their evenings, their bedtimes, and everything about their lives, every moment of their day, is to be consumed by the message they heard Moses preach. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. But how often do we talk about the messages we learn at church with our family? Does that ever happen? The moment church ends, we're, we're so quick to say, where do you want to go? Piccadilly? Little Havana? Nobody, nobody wants to talk about it. We came, we did our service, we showed up. We, we did, God's happy with us. We, we, we rolled out of bed and we came to church. Mom's happy with us. You going to church? Yeah, I went to church today. You can tell mom and you don't feel guilty about it. But how did the message change you this morning? How often do we get in our car and immediately discuss the content of the pastor's sermon? Oh, certainly when the pastor says something that's controversial, we talk about it. Remember that time he pulled up his pant legs and we saw how wide his ankles were? That was crazy, right? Man, I don't know. Where do you want to go to eat today? That's the content we take with us. But if the church is to be the chief trainer of the home, why aren't we carrying the message we heard back into our homes the way Moses commanded the Israelites to take the word of God? What about in general? Do we talk about this message with our families? And why is it that when church is over, the stomach takes over our brains and drives us immediately to chilies rather than conversation? Okay, maybe you need, a, maybe you need, a de, you need to decompress. You've heard a lot. You need a time frame. So then when do you discuss the message with your family? You're going to waste a Sunday. Don't waste a Sunday by, with your family by not talking about the message with each other. Say amen. Guys, by the way, you're, not, you're never going to offend me if you say amen. Just don't start talking to me while I'm up here. But just say amen. You're not going to grow if you don't discuss the sermon. I love what John Miller says. If you haven't read John Miller's book, Question Behind the Question, buy it. It's, it's 11 bucks. It's 11 bucks and it, it could change your life. It could change the way you approach everything in life. He says, if you don't change, you haven't learned. So if I ask you what you've learned today and you tell me, oh, yeah, well, I learned that, you know, we're the, the church is the main trainer of the family. All right. How will your family change this week? That's where the rubber of this message hits the road. It's where we as a church begin to grow. What will be the differences this week from the messages we heard this week to change our home? Wednesday night, when we come in and we talked about salvation on Wednesday night, how did we take that message and apply it to our lives Thursday, Friday, and Saturday? 
Otherwise, we're wasting and we're not learning anything. Real learning changes us. The church is to be the chief trainer of the Christian family. Husband, how will your wife see this morning's message lived out in your life? We're going to get to the application, the meat of this sermon in just a moment. But I want you to ask yourself this question. Husband, how will your wife see this morning's message lived out in your life? What will be the evidence that this morning's message has changed you? That your family will love God more. Wife, how will your husband see this morning's message lived out in your life this week? What will be the evidence that you learned this message? What will be the changes you will make? Parents, how will your children see that you're growing in the Lord? What little thing do you need to do this week? To show that you're growing in the Lord. To change your actions and attitude with your children. Your teenagers or your young ones. I don't have teenagers yet. They, they say that when you have children my age, you put them in a barrel and you cut a hole in it. And you feed them through the hole. They say that when they turn into teenagers, you plug the hole. Is that true? Don't say amen. You're going to get in trouble. Miss Torres is like, oh. no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I did work with teenagers for eight years. I've worked with teenagers for eight years as a teacher, a Bible teacher, a form of youth ministry. Parents, how will your children, your young, your young children, your teenagers, see that you're growing in the Lord this week? What will you do differently? Children, how will your parents see that the Holy Spirit is living within you? What will you do, children, this week to show that the Holy Spirit lives in you? Paul says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Children, you have a responsibility. You're going to be judged for the way you treat your parents. Listen to, the, listen to the promise. The promise is this. If you honor and obey your parents, it's the first commandment with a promise that your days might be long in the land. What happens if you don't? Do you watch the evening news? Young people, I want, I want all the young people to look at me right now. Just look at me. People your age die every day in this city. I can't even watch the news anymore. My heart breaks to see little 10-year-old boys in their football pads dead. Because bullets don't have names and they don't have an age limit to them. Children, I'm speaking to you. Teenagers, I'm speaking to you. What are you going to do to change your home this week? I'll wait for mom and dad to change. No, you start it now. Every one of us start it now. What are we going to do this week? To make sure that everyone in our family knows... We've taken this message and we learned because we've changed. We're different. Okay, let's look at the application. Finally this. Godly leaders lead by example. It's my third and final point. Godly leaders lead by example. Paul told Timothy to set an example for believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. To set an example. 
In other words, Timothy, don't walk around, you need to have a little bit more faith, uh, you need to stop sleeping with those boys, uh, you need to, uh, no, don't use bad language, uh, sit up straight. That, that's not what Paul told Timothy to do. Go in there and badger those people into loving Jesus more. Go in there and shame them into loving Jesus more. He said, no, set an example. Husband, set an example for your wife. Concern that your wife isn't reading your Bible as much? Get up earlier and read yours. Wife, you're concerned that your husband's not reading his Bible as much? Get up and read yours. Paul says in, in homes where a lost spouse is there, where there's a lost spouse in the home, that they shouldn't divorce. That the one who's the Christian should be the Christian, that person should be the husband of an unbelieving wife or the wife of an unbelieving husband, be an example for them. You might win them to Christ. By enduring their, by, by showing them love and patience, by being everything that Christ wants you to be. Not by nagging them to be better Christians or to give their lives to Christ. It's not going to do it. It's not going to change it. Start being the example. Godly leaders lead by example. Timothy, here's how you be a godly leader for the church. Set an example for believers in speech. Change the way you talk to one another. Change the way you act in conduct, in love. Be ready to be gracious, in faith, in purity. Men, women, and children must all set an example to one another. Husbands or fathers, this starts with you. You're the chief example setter in your home. That's how God intends it to be. And I'm talking to myself here too. But wives, don't wait for your husband to set the example. If he's going to take longer, be gracious with him. What does that have to do with your relationship with Jesus Christ? What did Paul tell the wife? Submit as unto the Lord. He might be a rascal, but you're submitting to him because of your relationship with Jesus. Not because he's such an awesome guy. Husband, you're going to stick with her, not because she's such an awesome person, but because you love Jesus and you're going to show her as bad and as miserable as she might be that you love Jesus enough to stay with her. Don't laugh. That's real, church. That's really going on, church. Children, your parents may not know Jesus today. How many of you were dropped off this morning and your parents went on somewhere else and you're here by yourself? That's why you got to get good grades. Because you're going to obey Jesus and they're going to see your obedience and they might repent of their sins one day because of your example. They left you. If they die between now and the time that they receive Christ... They don't go to heaven. They go to hell forever. That's why you're obedient. That's why it matters that you clean your room. No, in the long term, houses are going to fall down. They're going to collapse and they're going to crumble. But homes are built by your obedience. Young people, you have such a great responsibility. Don't miss it. Every one of us have an opportunity. 
Children, your parents are flawed. Wives, your husbands are flawed. Husbands, your wives are flawed. But in this church, we're going to learn how to be better husbands and better wives and better children because all of us have a personal responsibility and accountability to the Lord Jesus Christ. God will judge us for our disobedience. All right, so how do we change it? Everyone starts this morning by doing something very simple. I don't have a method for every one of us to go because I don't know every individual home. But I can give you something that can change your home today. Start by asking questions that always involve you doing something. An I instead of a they and them. John G. Miller, again, I'm going to quote him again. These questions are real questions because they evolve real change. What can I do how can I help? You ever, you ever gone into some of these, these fast food restaurants or some of these restaurants and you're sitting there and you're wondering when is anyone going to help me? And then you stop a waitress and they say, that's not my table. Don't you hate that? Because does it matter? Does it matter whether or not it's their table? How can you help me? You hate that when you see it in other people. What about you? So do this this week. How can I, as a father, as a mother, as a child, how can I lead my family to be good members of this church? It's the first question. How can I, as a father, a mother, a child, lead my family to be good members of this church? And what could you do? What are some things you could do? Maybe not gossip about the church. Maybe be here every week. Maybe be here on time. You are going to show your family that you love this church and that it's important to you by how you treat it. How can I or what can I do to encourage praying together for our church? Honey, come over here. Children, come over here. We're going to pray about our church this week. We're going to pray about how we can be better church members this week. I feel like the Lord might be leading us to serve in a certain area of this church. I want us to love Jesus more and to show it in the church. I think we've, been, we've got gifts in this church, children. Hey, young, I think you're really gifted at, at playing an instrument. I think you're really gifted with encouragement. I want to pray together how you and each and every one of us can use our gifts to bless the church. How can I or what can I do? That will help us worship together better as a church. How can I lead my family this week to worship better in church? Certainly not by complaining about music. Maybe by talking about music. Maybe by leading one another to, to sing together. Maybe by sitting with one another. That's one of the strange things. I've seen that happen so many so many times where families come into a church and they go and sit in different places. Why would you do that? Why would you not sit with one another? Aren't you worshiping together? Don't you want to worship together? Or maybe you want to play on your iPad somewhere away from your parents. Or parents, maybe you want to play on your iPad away from your kids. Maybe you don't want your kids to ask you for your iPad. But you're using it. 
finally, how can I or what can I do that will serve together in our church? How can I or what can I do that will lead my family to serve together in our church? I want to look at our pledge this morning. Go ahead and take it out of your bulletin. And as usual, just sit there and don't sign anything until we've read it. fifth pledge says this what does it start with it starts with what with what with what not them right not they right I will lead my family you say well that's only the husband's job nope wife you can be a leader you can be a leader by leading through your submission, children, through your submission, that's leading. That's leading. Did Jesus not lead through his submission? Or did I misread 1 Peter incorrectly? Did I misunderstand Philippians 2 last week, Philippians 2, 5 through 11, when Paul says that Christ set the example for us through his submission? Though he had everything... And every reason not to submit, he submitted. So, every one of us, child, husband, wife, can lead. And every one of us has to submit somewhere. Husband, you got to submit to Christ. Wives, submit to husbands. Children, submit to parents. You follow that chain of command, you have a Christian home. I will lead my family to be good members of this church as well. We will pray together for our church. We will worship together in our church. We will serve together in our church. And we will ask Christ to help us fall deeper in love with this church. I love that. Because he gave his life for her. Christ loves the church. Train your family to love the church by loving the church for yourself. Let's pray. Lord, so many of us, every one of us, every last one of us has room to grow, Lord.